So we've been talking about our series, Healing the American Church. Now, again, it has this thing inside of it, right? You can only heal something that needs to be healed. And what we are saying is that there are multiple things in the church in our country which need to be healed. And it's been really interesting to watch um, how the church has reacted to the strife and stress in our nation. Uh, Historically, there have been some moments where the church was involved trying to bring uh, the, the country back together to heal it right now. And of course, the church is unable to do that right now. It is just as divided as the country is. Uh, It's just as lost. So we've been kind of pulling at threads to this. What is it about the American church that's so broken? What is it that it's missing? Uh, And is there hope for it? Uh, How can we heal it? So today I want to talk about another story, right? I've been starting these off with stories about people, but today I want to talk about a story of uh, Sam's kids. Uh, You might know Sam. Have you guys ever heard of these phrases here? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Come on now. Come on now. That's from what? Come on. Who knows it? It's from the Declaration from Hamilton. I wish. Uh, It's from the Declaration of Independence, correct? It starts with this idea, right, that every single individual is born with these three rights. These things are in them. They cannot be taken away from them. What if, or a question, what if Americans don't always make great Christians? What if American values, as great and awesome as they may be, are not always Christ's values? What happens in this tension? Now, you have this powerful idea inside this nation. Um, July 4th weekend just passed. It is the best time to ever be on Facebook. Amen? The uh, memes and the pictures and the posts and the Bud Lights and the, the uh, you know, swimming suits and fireworks. I mean, America, right? It's all over Facebook. It's great. It's, it's probably the best time to scroll ever, right? It's the best time to scroll on your Facebook feed all year long, right? And everybody's happy, right? And we're all celebrating what? We're American. We have what? Freedom. That's not how you said it on the 4th, right? How my neighbor said it, who wouldn't stop lighting fireworks, you know? America, freedom. Woo, 3 a.m. No one needs freedom from sleep, the tyranny of the bed. Amen, hallelujah. You get the idea, right? Freedom is this ingrained, beautiful thing that in this country, in the last three to 400 years, we've really begun to spread this idea around the world. It's our thing, right? Freedom is what we do, right? We like to take explosives, poor judgment, right, and have a good time, right? That's what we do, especially Southern freedom. Now, how does this freedom line up when we start talking about what it is to follow Jesus? Now, specifically, We've been talking about to be a Christian is, by definition, someone who is following after Christ, right? Being formed to the image of Christ. To be formed means to have what? Constraints. There's a mold. There's a shape. You literally are having your freedom restricted, right? I could be anything I want to be. That's one of the things that we tell our kids, right? You could be anything, You could be the president of the United States. And everyone goes, yeah, I know, look. (laughs) You know, it happens, right? Anybody can be. Well, you know, I mean, we've got this amazing environment, but what does it mean to follow Christ, to be conformed to Christ? 
what happens when American freedom meets slavery to Christ? Oh, what are you talking about? I'm just quoting scripture, by the way. Slaves to Christ is one of Paul's favorite little terms he likes to put in there. That we cast off our freedom and we submit ourselves to Jesus. That he says, to anyone who's, who's weary or tired or heavy, come to me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. But do you know what a yoke is? Anybody? Who hitched a yoke this week? Anybody? Nobody? All right. <laughs> to take livestock, beasts of burden, and to put their neck under a wooden yoke to harness them. Whatever you would picture freedom as with this thing frolicking free in the woods, well, on the hillside with the grass, right? This would be the opposite of that. If you're really tired, here's the answer. Run free. No, he says, if you're really tired, here's the answer. Come to me. I have some constraints for you. I have a structure for you. I have a, some guidelines for your life. If you would come to me, I will take away some of these things you used to love, but I'm going to put you in a place where you will thrive. Just to be careful, I'm about to preach a whole other sermon on the importance of structure. Amen, hallelujah. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Galatians 5, verse 13. Galatians, it's a good book. Hope you've read it. Galatians 5, verse 13 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Amen. Jesus is an American, called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Let me summarize that very complex, complicated word. We're not talking about this. We're talking about the wants and desires that we feel in this. Those places that come deep inside of us where we want what we want when we want it. And because we want these things when we want them, we feel them in our body. That's why the, the term, the flesh, your will is what we're talking about. Do not use your freedom to indulge your will. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I want you to be very sober right now and think about where we are going in our country if this continues. If we continue to devour and to bite at each other and these antagonisms continue, we've been here before, by the way, where do you think this will go? Be careful or you will what? Be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you're not able to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I used to love this phrase. See, I don't need rules. I got the spirit of God. Me and the spirit's going to go flying, you know? It's beautiful, right? I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need the rule book of the Bible. But if you notice, there is a connection here that most of us miss that the author is trying to help you see. He gives you two ways to push back against the flesh, or if you want to translate that, sin. He says, hey, you could follow the Spirit, but there's this other way. You, you could also love your neighbor, but there's a trick in there. He's quoting the, th 
the very thing Jesus taught about the law, which is this. Following the Spirit will always line up with loving your neighbor. The moment that you come to me and say, hey, Holy Spirit told me to do this thing. I've been told often, well, you know, challenge what people say about the Holy Spirit and ask them, does this line up with the Scriptures? I have an even simpler test because the Bible's pretty big and pretty complex. Because Jesus said, and the author of Galatians said, that all of the laws are summed up in one thing, to love my neighbor. So here's the test. If the Spirit of God really told you, then here's what it's going to do. It will come out in a way that expresses genuine, sacrificial, meaning putting someone else first love every single time. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to wear masks everywhere and to make everyone else wear masks? Since when is it my responsibility? They're adults. Hey, be a really good American. Go for it. Here's the problem there. If you choose to follow Christ, here's the answer every time. You are your brother's keeper. Every time. Is your brother also your neighbor? Would protecting them be loving them? Would you protect yourself? Do you love yourself? If you don't love yourself, we have a deeper issue. You can be an amazing American and be intelligent and smart and love your freedoms, but there's a problem here. You can have freedom and intelligence, but you can't have all your freedoms and be worried about your rights and your freedoms and then also conforming to the image of Christ, which loves its neighbor every single stinking time. And I have so many Americans come to me and say, hey, am I my brother's keeper? I say, you quote that as if that was taught in the Scriptures as a good thing to say. That's the quote from the brother who just murdered the other brother. Why would you ever say that to me? Am I my brother's keeper? Did you murder someone? Because that's the only way in the Scriptures we see this response to God. Because if you were truly obeying God, you would know exactly how your brother's doing because you would be caring for that brother or that sister. See, America as a nation has so many beautiful ideas and values that we have tried to instill into this place and into the world. And to a certain extent, we've done that in certain ways. But there's been a really dangerous marriage that happened. This idea that, I, that being a Christian and being an American are the same thing in any way, shape, or form. See, Americans make terrible disciples because we have so much more to unlearn. It's not that we cannot be amazing disciples. We can be. We can be phenomenal disciples, but we have a hill to climb. What I hear often, all the time, is what's in it for me? So why should I have to do that thing? See, as an American, I've been trained that my number one first thing to think about is myself. And when it comes to business, thinking about me first will get you pretty darn far. It's a very important thing to learn. <laughs> when you realize you are in a system where you have to fend for yourself, to be an individual, to live as an individual means to be self-reliant. 
to be self-centric. It's not that you're selfish. It's that you are focused first on me. We've already done sermons on breaking down the broken American gospel of salvation and how I get saved and what I get from God if I have enough faith or if I say the right verses or whatever, and I've already spent time on that. But to kind of hammer this home a little more, is there anyone who knows what it used to take to get saved? So today we could do an altar call like we would do at most churches. Come up and we'd get that thing done, right? We'd quote Romans. Do you believe that the Father raised the Son from the dead? And do you declare that Jesus is Lord? Who here has actually prayed that prayer? Most all of us, right? Do you know why in Romans they tell you to say that Jesus is, is Lord? Do you have any idea like where that comes from? See, at the time that this was being taught, there was someone named Caesar. Now, of course, it's not his actual name, it's a position. We'll translate to like ruler, king, right? President, whatever form we want to give it, right? And in, in this land of Rome, right, at any point in time, soldiers could come by and declare this. Caesar is Lord. And your response, you are to turn to look and to respond and repeat back and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, there is a trick in this. There's a cost in it, too. What happens if you do not say that? What happens if you do not repeat back that Caesar is Lord? What if you were to say something else? What if you were to say, Jesus is Lord? See, there's a cost to this. And see, for the early Christians to be a follower of Jesus meant that they had to give up and they had to push off so many of the amazing freedoms and gifts that they had gained as being Jews or as being uh, Haitians or even as being Romans. It was nice to live inside the walls of Rome. That was a great place to live at the time. If you lived on the outside of the walls of Rome, you could have some pretty rough people do some pretty awful things to you. It was civilized. It was intelligent. It was a beautiful place on the planet at that point in time. But when this message of Jesus as Lord began to spread, anyone who said Jesus as Lord had consequences. That consequence could be that your children could be taken away from you. That consequence could be that you could end up on a pike lit on fire. That consequence could be that you could be thrown into an arena and eaten by animals, bears and tigers, oh my. You could. To say Jesus is Lord meant something, and the problem is today it means nothing to us. And the idea was never about you getting saved. You had a three-year process, and the idea wasn't about, okay, God's coming into my life. It was you have a three-year process to see if you get to come into God's life, if you get to come into the community of the church. Not will we shorten our services and improve our parking tents so that you will come to here once every five weeks. It's you're going to wait three years to see if we're going to let you in, see if you get it. Is it real to you yet? And all the pictures in the scriptures of salvation are corporate pictures. You're going to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. 
the royal priesthood, the collection, or the best one, the city of God. See, there's a problem about being a part of a city. See, a city is not a place for people who are self-reliant. See, if I move out to Rudy, and if I do the, the uh, amazing southern dream, I get myself 10 acres and farm and pigs and chickens, amen, I can slowly become self-reliant. But if I move myself into a city where I have <laughs> 200 square feet, I don't have a car, I have to rely on transit. I have to rely on the water to be clean. I have to rely on a food source. I have to rely on police officers to keep everyone in order. I have to rely on everyone around me to make this thing work. Every one of the continual symbols of salvation in the scriptures is communal, not individualistic. We as Americans who desire to follow Christ, have to understand that one of our biggest things we're going to have to work through, and it takes time, and God gives us time, and he's patient with us. But we have to learn how to unlearn being as individual as we've been trained to be. We have to learn to, learn to be self-reliant. We have to learn to look out for the needs and the good of others. We have to learn that the first question I ask isn't, what about me? It's what about them? How does this affect my neighbor? How does this reality affect the person who's next to me, to my left and to my right? How does this affect their freedoms? How does this affect their health? This is what a Christian sounds like when they talk. It's not very American, honestly. And so we can be some pretty beautiful followers of Christ as we learn to take these freedoms we've been given in this country and we submit them to Jesus. Part of confessing Jesus as Lord is confessing that every single thing you had, including your freedoms, is now submitted to Christ. As an American, do I have the right to do whatever blank, fill in the blank? You probably do, especially in Arkansas, right? <laughs> we have even more freedoms than some of the rest of the country. But that's not the question you ask. As someone who's trusting Jesus to bring me through death to life after death, do I have the freedom to do X, Y, Z? And how will that decision affect this other neighbor of mine who I am learning to care for as much as I care for myself? As a, the American church is a long hill to climb. It's, uh, it's almost discouraging, but I do believe there's hope. I would love to give you some really simple steps to, okay, here's what you do. Here's how, we, here's how we do this thing, man. But there's not, really. The only thing I can tell you to do is this. You have to let it soak. You have to take Jesus seriously enough that you let the words of the scriptures, the, the work of the Spirit work in you, till in you. It takes time. We've had a whole lifetime to learn how to take care of ourselves, to think about ourselves, to put our opinions first, our needs first, what we want first. It takes time to learn to take care of our neighbor first, to think of them first. It takes time. But this is what it's called to do. And the stakes are high. 
If you believe the gospel that was preached to you, then you believe you're trusting this God to save you, not just in this life. Because the blood of the American soldiers might have bought you many freedoms in this life, but that blood cannot free you from death. Whether it's 70 years, 100 years, there is a death coming that that blood will not save you from. And as a Christian, the hope is that the blood of Christ, as I receive it in following Jesus in the way of self-sacrificial love, that that blood will save me, not in this life, but into the next. That is the gospel. And it is not free or cheap. So, with that, allow it to soak. It's the only thing we can do. We let it soak. We let it get into us. And then at some point in the future, it will start to come 